0: prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to say thank you for the works that you have done, for answers to prayer, for your protection, for keeping us in your service, for blessing us with the privilege of serving you and your church, and Lord, for giving opportunities to share the gospel, and Lord, we just thank you and thank you and praise your name for being so good to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Go ye kids. We'll have you to go ye, and the rest of us, let's turn once again to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we're trying to finish the introduction here, the part that uh, has been termed the Beatitudes, or a state uh, of blessing, and Jesus is introducing his sermon. He's actually summarizing the entire sermon. He's going to deal with each one of these points in depth as he goes through the rest of the sermon. And uh, we have two more to finish the entire set of Beatitudes here, and that is Blessed are the peacemakers, in verse 9, for they shall be called the children of God, in verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets, which were before you. And so, uh, as we look at these Beatitudes the here, we have been through the the first um, uh, six of them, and now we're coming up on the peacemakers and... A peacemaker, again, we don't need a, a, a very thorough dictionary for a peacemaker. It's one who brings peace, one who reconciles uh, parties that are at odds with each other. And uh, what I'd like for us to do is turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, we often quote verse 7. Uh, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But let's... uh, um, I'm sorry, 17. Uh, Let's start there and, uh, and read down through verse 22. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you, in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, as we look at this idea of peacemakers, more often than not, The idea comes up of someone who is a pacifist or a weakling, someone who just surrenders uh, peace. Most of us, uh, if you're a student at all of history, you'll remember the great conflict that was going on in the government of Great Britain as Hitler was subjugating continental Europe. We had the Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, goes over to Berlin and meets with uh, uh Adolf Hitler and signs a peace treaty with him and comes back and says we have achieved peace in our time and it's only a matter of months before uh, the entire program of that madman begin to be realized and people begin to understand that Neville Chamberlain did not sow the seeds of peace. He just made the war much, that much deeper and that much harder to fight. You see, peacemakers and, and with God is not just telling, uh, surrendering to the world. We We live in a uh, religion uh, in a world where people want to, as part of their religion, they want to meet the world where they are. Uh, I want to challenge you. There, There is no synthesis between the world and Jesus Christ. There, there's no agreement. Uh, I remember years ago, somebody sent me this thing, and it was uh, some little program, and you're supposed to listen to the cassette tape, and it said... You can negotiate anything. And it was talking about business deals. And, and I've often thought of some of our people like Neville Chamberlain and others who, who would think that they could sign a peace treaty with the devil and come out on the right side of things. Uh, that's not what the peacemakers are. You see, a peacemaker is one that takes two parties and brings them at peace. Now, who are we at odds with before we get saved? God. Isn't that true? We were the enemies of Christ. The enemies of the gospel. We were... Uh, what's Romans 5.8 said? Let's, let's go over there quickly and pick that up. Hello? Are we awake tonight? I, I got a couple of giggles. Okay. Romans 5.8. I'll, I'll try not to put you to sleep here. But God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, We were at enmity. We were at war with God, with righteousness, because we could not attain it on our own. You go back to the first beatitude. Blessed are what? The poor in spirit. That's how you got saved, wasn't it? Hello? How could you get more blessed than being saved? Is understanding salvation isn't from you. It's all of God. Not only isn't it of me, I can't attain it. I am poor. Uh, in, when it comes to spiritual things, I, I can, I, there's nothing that I can do. Now, we come down here almost to the end and now we have peacemakers. Could, could I challenge you the best modern day word for a peacemaker is a soul winner is someone who helps another soul to Jesus Christ. You see, that's the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? That is the ministry that God has. for Not just for the preachers, not just for the uh, uh, um, super-Christians, but for every servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why... We're going here to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When we get saved, the old things are passed away. We're a new creature. We're to take that message to the world in which we live. You see, there are all kinds of reasons why people try to do good things. Sometimes they try to do good things to earn favor with God. And I've often tried to illustrate that point. There's nothing more selfish or more wicked than trying to work your way to heaven. Because what you're doing is you're taking other people's problems and other people's pain and suffering and you are using it or trying to use it to your advantage to gain points with God. That's why God will not allow you to work your way to heaven. He will not accept it. Because if you're going to do something good for someone, then someone else has to be in trouble. And the whole thing is, God's not responsible for your sin. You are. Isn't that true? I mean, we're not Calvinists around here. We, we don't believe that God wrote a script and we're just following His script. We believe that God has given us a choice and He's allowed us to live these lives in, in the freedom of that choice. And when you trust Jesus Christ... You get saved. Now, God didn't save you to just sit around and wait for heaven. He had a purpose. And that purpose is to take his peace to other struggling souls in this world in which we live. Amen? And this is what we've got to work on. You see, a lot of people want to start with peacemakers. And they want to say, that's that's where I am. But how in the world can you help someone get reconciled to God if you're not reconciled to God? How can you help someone find that peace and that truth if your life is not the kind of advertisement for Jesus Christ that it ought to be? And I use that term loosely just to illustrate the point is we must... Take that. God has committed unto us the ministry and the word of reconciliation. We take this book to the world in which we live. We take this message of the gospel and people can get saved. What happens? They're not fighting with God anymore. And who else aren't they going to be fighting with? Well, Hopefully you. Amen. If you're serving God and they're serving God, there ought to be some agreement there. And and there ought to be some oneness of purpose. And remember, uh, I'm trying to get ahead of myself, but it says, they shall be called the children of God. You know what God's children are supposed to do? Help other people find God. Amen? It's just that simple. Those are the peacemakers. And yes, with human nature, we're we're going to have issues with other people. And what we have to do is we have to surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and keep moving forward as much as we can. The the Bible tells us that we're to, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We have the word of reconciliation. And the issue here is Jesus paid for all of our sins. And therefore, we now have freedom to reach out and love other people with no strings attached. You know, part of the world's issue of love is there's always a hook in the middle of it, isn't there? There's always a a conditional agreement. I'll be your friend if you... Oh, I'll tell you. That's not love. That's not the world. That's not making peace. But when we are able to just simply give the Word of God and the answers that are in the Word of God to someone who will receive them. You know what? God's working, isn't He? That's the peacemaker. Then we come to the last one, and it seems to be very different. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. It is the longest of all the Beatitudes. It has the most to say about it. And it says, blessed are they, verse 10, which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can I challenge you that as we take this ministry of reconciliation, as we take God's word into the world in which we live, There are going to be people that accept that and get saved, far too few. I think all of us would agree on that. And there are those who are not going to accept it. There are those who are going to reject it. And what is going to be the natural response? Why were the Pharisees the most vicious persecutors of Jesus? When all Jesus was trying to do was to help them avoid the eternal damnation of hell. Why did they return such hatred for his love? Because if Jesus was right, then everything about their life was wrong. You know, that's hard for some people to accept now, isn't it? And what did they do? They did to Jesus exactly what it says here. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Now, the word revile is to degrade, to abase, to use words, to to uh, make a person less than they ought to be, to... Uh, And what did the Pharisees do? They went so far as to even say that Jesus did his miracles through the power of Satan, through the power of Beelzebub, the God of the flies. Uh, And that's what the Bible explains in uh, Mark chapter 3, I believe it is, Matthew chapter 12. Uh, People have uh, termed that the unpardonable sin, the uh, the sin that God will not forgive. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And simply what that is, is attributing the works of God to the devil. That's what they did. They they said the works of the Holy Spirit in Jesus actually came from the devil. Now let me ask you a question. If you actually believed that, would you ever get saved? Nope. You're already way past it. You see, we live in a world where everyone who is alive is going to have to make a decision to either accept or reject Jesus Christ. And those that reject Jesus Christ, they're going to embrace something else. And when we rattle their cage or Uh, yank on their chain or some terminology we use when we upset the process of their life by giving them a way that they have not chosen and do not want to choose what's going to happen it's going to be your fault because it can't be theirs are we still together here? This is what the Pharisees did. This is why they reacted the way they did. And, and, and if you follow the Bible, they have the same thing. They, they reviled Jesus. Then they persecuted him. And they, they said all manner of evil against him falsely. And they're, finally, they're all standing around in Pilate's judgment hall. And they're accusing Jesus of every crime that they can think of. And what was Pilate's answer at the end of the whole thing? I find no fault in him. You have not proved him guilty of one crime. Now, you know what our problem as Christians is sometimes? We are guilty. We've we've done some wrong things. We may have offended. And that's the time when we have to go back to the beginning here. You see, the answer isn't in us. Amen? It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us are going to make mistakes. Every one of us is going to sin. But, if we're going to suffer persecution, let it be for righteousness' sake. Amen? Let it be because we did Something according to the gospel. Now, if you take your time at work that you're getting paid for by your boss to fill in the blank, and you're using that time to talk to people and not get your work done, is your boss right in correcting you? Absolutely. That's not persecution for righteousness' sake. That's persecution for dereliction of duty. As a Christian, we need to be faithful where we work. We need to be uh, as careful and as good an employee as we possibly can. Why? So that we'll reflect positively on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when God gives us opportunities to share the gospel, where we're not stealing from the company, where we're not doing things that are wrong, and someone persecutes us, the Bible says... We should count that as a blessing. Why? Because that's exactly how the world treated the prophets before you. You know what Jesus was doing right here? It's often overlooked. He was connecting his message of the gospel in the Sermon on the Mount to all of the teachings in the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. He was saying that God's message is one from Genesis to Revelation. Even though most of the Bible, uh, our New Testament, uh, hadn't been written yet, Jesus was taking his message and saying, My message is not something new. We're not starting over again. It's a continuation from day one. And as we look at this, we need to understand something is God's blessings are promised. He will take care of you. Amen? Let's go to Romans chapter 12 for just a moment. And let's start in verse 17 through the end of the chapter. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. This is just a further commentary on this. What we do is we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We are to be the peacemakers. We are to take the message of God's peace... And the ability to be reconciled from your sin. I, I am so privileged and so are you that we can walk in this world and you will never meet a person that God cannot save. Can we say amen to that? You'll never meet a person that God cannot save. Unfortunately, you will meet many people who will not be saved then who will be saved? And God's given us that ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to be that peacemaker. Not just to walk in a room and get two people that are fighting with each other to stop fighting. Most of the time, you need to read the book of Proverbs. It says, if when you mess in someone else's business, you're like a madman that grabs a dog by the ears. Uh, that's not a really good thing to do, unless you want to get bit. Uh, the truth of the matter is, the peace that we are seeking is between a man and God. I don't know how many couples I've had in my office over the years that have, were having problems in their marriages. And, and the first thing I do is say, hey, you got to get yourself right with God. Then to the other one, you've got to get yourself right with God. Because there's never gonna be peace here until each one of you have peace here. Amen? And Christmas time, we talk about good tidings of great joy, peace on earth and goodwill to men. Where does that come from? Well, if it's truly goodwill, it comes from God, isn't it? we got to get it from Him first. And when the world will not accept God's peace, is it a small thing that they hate you because they hate God more? Can I tell you it's just the natural result? Uh, I want to take just a few minutes and, and kind of review this thing the whole way from... From the beginning, you see, what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, He is trying to let us know, to let the people of Israel know, what the standards are to enter into His kingdom. Remember John the Baptist's message was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus' message was what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you follow this message, Jesus is establishing the standard of righteousness so that you can enter His kingdom. And we have some people that go through and say, yes, Jesus' kingdom is is at the end of the tribulation period and therefore the Sermon on the Mount is relegated only to the tribulation period. And uh, we want to sound that buzzer and wrong answer. The kingdom is the area that the king controls and protects. Amen? Where are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be in that kingdom. We're supposed to be under his dominion. It says, not here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. And so, as we look at these verses here, we need to understand that Jesus is pronouncing a state of blessedness. This is obtaining favor with God. How does this happen? Number one, you must admit your absolute poverty in spirit. You're poor in spirit. The idea of being poor is not the simple fact that you don't have what you want. is that you have no way to obtain what is necessary to sustain life. That is poor. You have no way to obtain what is necessary to get to heaven. Only Jesus can provide that. And He will not give you salvation until you surrender your will to His, until you admit in your life that you cannot save yourself. And by the way, we have to constantly remind ourselves of our absolute poverty in spirit because as God begins to use us, we might begin to take credit for some of those things. And so we got to go back and start over again. You see, that's when I get saved. That's why it says here, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because you just got saved. Amen? Blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. How many of you remember after you got saved, your first awakening, that when you begin to understand how holy God is and how sinful you are? You know, there there's some things there that we need to spend some time with as Christians. And the natural result It's going to be morning. What happened to the Jews in Nehemiah's day after the wall had been rebuilt? And they finally had a measure of peace there coming to them. And they read the word of God. And what did the people do? They wept. Why? Number one, they hadn't heard the word of God in generations. God's Word wasn't in print that everybody could have their own copy. It had to be read at the temple on the feast days was God's plan. And here they read the Word of God. But number two, because they began to see how short they came to God's standard. If we could just let that natural understanding of God's holiness it would allow God to comfort us in ways that we often miss. What a friend we have in Jesus. Why why does He not do things for us that He wants to do? It's because we stop Him. We cut ourselves off from so many of those blessings. But then comes the good part. As I get over that sorrow, I begin to understand that the only path of my life is to operate at his direction and under his authority. That's why we're in church. Moses was the meekest man, and yet he stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, let my people go. Why? Because that was the message that God had given him. People often accuse us, Accuse uh, me anyway, of being dogmatic. and you, You're going to tell me there's no other way? Yes, I am. I'm going to tell you that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. We believe that, don't we? It's being meek when we live it. We're understanding God's direction and living. And by the way, once you start living God's way, you're going to be moving against the direction and the flow and the desire of this world. That's why Jesus is the next one. is Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. He will put new desires in your heart. How many of you have experienced the blessing that can come by just following a simple little Bible reading schedule? You knew I was going to get that in there somewhere. Amen? We're not going to grow. We're not going to do what Christ wants us to do until we get into this. And this, by the way, this is minimum daily requirement. You can do more. You say, I don't have one of those yet. Well, see Andrew afterwards or Hannah. They'll, they'll get you one, alright? Uh, we, we want you to read your Bible. Why? Because it's only when you get the Word of God that God is able to create that desire for more. That hungering and thirsting. You know, oftentimes, uh, people will go to the doctor and they'll have all these health problems and the doctor will say, really, there's nothing wrong with you except your diet. You cannot expect to be healthy on McDonald's and Snicker bars and Three Musketeers and milkshakes and Sugary soda. And that's your whole diet. You've got to get some vegetables in there. You've got to get some other things. And so what has to happen? Either you tell the doctor, forget about it and die early. Or, you start retraining your taste buds. Right? You have to make yourself Learn to enjoy the right kind of food if you're going to be healthy. I mean, occasionally McDonald's is not going to kill you. Ten times a week, you're in danger. I mean, you really are. We, we need to look and understand that God will put into our hearts a desire for His thing, a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. And that is going to lead me to be filled with God's holiness. It only comes from God. You see, I cannot be merciful until I have received mercy. That's the next one. I cannot be merciful in a situation... Unless I am the one that has triumphed. Mercy comes to the defeated by the victor. Does it not? Isn't that how it works? The problem we have since the Vietnam War is our government has never understood what mercy is. And they've never won a war. And yet they try to give mercy to an undefeated enemy. That's not mercy. That's permission to keep doing wrong. It works that way in the real world. It works that way in the spiritual world. If you want to be merciful, you have got to obtain the victory. How do you do that? By not becoming part of the world. By not fighting fire with fire. By not surrendering to the world's direction and the world's rules. Why could Saul not face Goliath? Because he accepted the Philistines' rules. Don't you understand when you fight the devil and you decide you're going to play by his rules, you've already lost. I've often said, what would have happened if Saul would have said, ha ha on you, and had 50 of his best men all prepared. Now, tomorrow morning when Goliath comes out, 50 of you are going to jump him. He might get a few of you, but you're going to get him first. The Philistines would have been saying, hey, that's not fair. And he said, that's okay. And the battle would have been over the first day. David would have never had to do what he did. But why did it happen? Because someone wouldn't stay true to the Bible and to the things of God's Word and they surrendered to the world. You can't show mercy once you surrender to the world. All you can do is go back to point one and say, Lord, I'm poor in spirit. I failed because I tried to do it my way and not yours. And start over again. That's the only thing you can do. Being merciful, being able to give mercy will put within you a desire, a pureness of heart. You will learn that there's only one thing that matters in this life. That is Jesus Christ. That's pureness of heart. Hey, you have to go to work tomorrow. You have to ride the subways, many of you. Or drive in New York traffic at rush hour—all those things that we have to, you, we have to do. Can I do those things to please the Lord Jesus Christ? That's pureness of heart. I work my job to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to, you to understand. I admit. That is a whole lot easier for me to do as a preacher than it is for any of you to do at the place where you work. Because I get to be my own boss, so... Uh, It's just a little easier for me. Yes, I understand that. But I want you to stop and think this pureness of heart, a desire. God, when He gives that to you... Guess what it says? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen? How many of you would like to see God perform miracles in your life? Well, you get pure in heart and you're going to see it. We're, we're sitting in a miracle here, aren't we? God provided the money for us to buy this building, and then come along Union, and God changed all the rules. But He still provided, now didn't He? Somebody said, "You raised you you raised a whole lot more money for Union than you did for Open Door." I said, "No, no, it no, wasn't quite the thing. It was completely different, but..." we actually raised over $600,000 in a little less than five years. If we count the whole thing, uh, we paid for this building in seven years. That was $763,204. Praise God, we've, we've not even gotten halfway there at Union to that figure but we probably will get really close by the time we finish the auditorium upstairs especially if we try to put an apartment in and but God is able he will do miracles if we need those miracles to obtain the purpose that he has put in our hearts amen one of the reasons We are unsuccessful in our soul-winning efforts is because we do not have the foundation to take the ministry and the word of reconciliation to a world that needs to be reconciled to God. I've been in places where people have treated soul-winning like you would... Uh, learning a new computer program. I can have anybody winning souls in just a few days if they'll just follow what I say. And I'm sitting there going, wow, that'd be nice. But how in the world do you manipulate the hearts of people and have it be God's work at the same time? It doesn't work that way. You see, God is the one that saves souls, not me. And if I manipulate you into praying a prayer that you don't mean, that's not salvation. Salvation is where God does the work in a person's heart to bring them back to step number one to understand their poorness of spirit. Can we say amen to that? And when we meet someone who refuses to believe God's word, don't be surprised if they decide to attack you. But just remember, that's what they did to Isaiah. And Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Elijah, Elisha. Do I, do I need to go on? Why did the world attack them? Why did Ahab e- hate Elijah so? Because Ahab was not going to surrender to God. And he was going to do everything in his power to prove that he was right. What did Ahab say to Micaiah as they dragged him out of the chamber where he and Jehoshaphat were planning to defy God and go to Ramoth-Gilead when the prophet of God said, you're going to die, Ahab, you're not coming back. Micaiah said, if he comes back in peace, the Lord has not sent me. He's saying, if Ahab comes back in peace, you can execute me. Well, Ahab came back, but he had an enemy arrow in him and no more blood. He was dead. Why? Because God always keeps his word. You can't protect yourself in this wicked world in which we live. You let God do the protecting. He'll do a better job than you can. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to understand these levels, these beatitudes, these blessings that you want us to be able to enjoy in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts. Before we finish our prayer, if you'd like to slip out and spend a few moments, the altar is open, then we'll get into our prayer time.